Welcome to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com, a place to talk about the experiences that we call life. We'll share the sorrow and the joy that makes this earthy existence real and makes us who we are. Now, here's your host, Renee Steelman. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. I hope that you are going to be as excited about my guest as I am. I met Derek through the wonderful process of social media, Um, but I've talked to him and he is amazing. He is a businessman from the state of Maine, and that's the most beautiful thing about, about this social media is we can connect with people all over the world, and he is a father of a young man that is on the autism spectrum. He is a supporter of autism awareness. He is a volunteer. He actually is the president and co-owner of Volk Packaging Corporation. And the beautiful thing about that is that he, being an employer, can employ people that have disabilities, and he does. He he His company employs people who are deaf, blind, and on the autism spectrum. So he is really giving back to the community. Um he and Dylan have co-authored a book called Chasing the Rabbit, and it just talks a little bit about, you know, life with autism. And Derek gives his view from a parent's uh, point, and Dylan chimes in and says, hey, this is what it's like. So um, uh, I just can't wait to bring to bring Derek on. So Der- Derek, let's uh, let's get this show going and let's start the conversation. So tell us a little bit about uh, about the book and, and tell us about the beginning of, of your life with Dylan. Yeah, sure. Well, thank thank you very much uh, for having me on as a guest. I appreciate it, and I look forward to, to talking to your audience. My Our story started uh, back in, in 1989. My wife and I uh, got married, and uh, we were high school sweethearts, and we got married uh, in, after our freshman year of college, actually, and went to college together and decided uh, in 1990 we were going to try to have a baby, see how that went. And uh, we were blessed enough that, uh, to have Dylan, and he was born in 1991. And everything seemed great. Uh, he, he was uh, a good little baby, and uh, of course we just couldn't get enough of staring at him and, and uh, being loving parents, even loving young parents. And then when he was about two years old, my wife was watching some of the neighbors' kids. She was a stay-home mom, and some of the neighbors' parents uh, worked, and so she was watching some of the kids for a few hours a week. And I came home from work one day, and she sat me down, and she said, something's not quite right with Dylan. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? And she said, I don't know, but something's not quite right. He doesn't interact with the other kids. They play together. He seems to be in his own world. He doesn't seem to care if they're even in the room or not. And uh, Dylan was a very unusual little boy. He was really into vacuum cleaners and pipes and, and furnace. Furnace. So, so I just wrote it off. I just, well, no, no, he's fine. He's just really smart, and he's just way smarter than these other kids. And they just—that's why he doesn't have any interest in them. And she, you know, moms know better than that. And she's like, no, nah, I don't think so. And but we didn't know what to do with that, so we didn't do a whole lot with it, and uh, we just figured we'd kind of see where it went. And it was six years before we uh, finally received the diagnosis of Asperger's um, slash autism, 
And that was after yeah. a number of, uh, as you read in the book, a number of, of diagnoses and uh, right. challenges that we had with Dylan. And, and uh, today he's 24, and after a very long and bumpy road, uh, he's doing really well. So that's that, kind you of know fun. exactly what you said, um, Derek. The the uh, kind of the denial at first, and I really do think, especially so many times when the children are the first children, um, they they don't see it. And then when someone else points it out to them, they get defensive. And it really takes a lot of times the comparing. I know that happened with my with my daughter as well. Um, she didn't really see it. She had, you know, two other children who were busy, busy, busy children. And for her to have a child that was docile and calm and, and sweet and peaceful was such a relief for her that she just didn't see that he was maybe a little too comforted by the iPad and that that wasn't really <laughs> normal for a two-year-old to want to, to just sit with an iPad all the time. Right. And it, right. It, yeah. And it took, you know, having a, a an activity with girlfriends where they had children that were about the same age, to her for her to compare and look around and go, okay, wait a minute, that something's wrong. This isn't something's not right. But um, and also what you said about you know the father sometimes uh, thinking that moms are being a little too hands on, a little too helicoptery, and and not really you know paying that much attention and and so you know, but. The fact that it took six years. Now, was that just, you know, traipsing around from doctor to doctor to doctor and from them just patting you on the head and going, oh, now, mommy and daddy, you're just, you know, or what, what did they just give you different diagnoses or what was it? Yeah, we, we used to call it the diagnosis of the month club. And oh. uh, basically uh, what we what we discovered is that there was no denying that there were issues with Dylan. He had extreme right. You know, extreme temper tantrums, uh, uh, very impulsive behavior, uh, uh-huh. extreme special interests, and and it would be hard for anybody to deny that there was something that was off with Dylan uh, at that age. And so, right. but Asperger's wasn't even a diagnosis until 1994, and we're talking about 1993. So, very right, few people right. had any idea what this was and what it could be, and so the diagnosis of autism was missed time and time again. And so when we went to the specialist that was an OCD specialist, right. that's what he had. That's what his issue was. When we okay. went to the specialist that um, had a focus on Tourette's, that's what he had. And uh. so whatever, you know, whatever, they, it, it, when the, there was a time where I looked at it very maliciously and thought, well, there, all these people just gave him the diagnosis they wanted so that they could continue to treat him. Right. And, right. you know, that was, you know, there may have been some of that, but as I look back now with maybe um, a little more kid gloves, I, I say, okay, well, you know, if you're the old expression, if, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Exactly. And I, think, and I think that these people, Dylan had, you know, he does have OCD. He does, right. he did, he did have, he did have ticks. So if you are, someone that spends your whole day looking at people with OCD and in walks Dylan and he has these quirky things that he does that are very OCD, then you say, okay, that must be it. And right, exactly. What we, couldn't, what we couldn't grapple with was how, whatever the diagnosis of the month was, how that 
was manifesting in all of his behaviors. So what we would do is we, we, you know, we would run out to the bookstore and buy a book or a couple of books and read about whatever it was. And when I say we, I mean my wife would read (laughs) about whatever it was that was the diagnosis of the month. And, you know, she would say, well, you know, it kind of sounds like Dylan, but it doesn't explain all these behaviors. You know, it doesn't explain a kid who will, you know, literally sit at, at a, at a, you know, department store for four hours playing with vacuum cleaners. You know, OCD doesn't explain that kind of behavior for a three-year-old who wants to be a furnace for Halloween. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, it didn't make yeah. sense. And right. Uh, right. it wasn't until he was eight that actually my brother sent me an article that he read in the New York Times. And it was about a boy who was 16 years old who had memorized the entire subway system. He could tell you how to get yeah. from any two streets from one, one, end, one end of the city to another. And he right. knew the entire subway system by heart. Um and so I, I was reading this little article that my brother sent me, and he'd written a little post-it note on top of it, which I'd kind of tossed aside. And at the end of the story, it says that when he was three, he was really into vacuum cleaners. Oh and it said gosh. that this boy had a form of autism called Asperger's. And I grabbed the post-it note back, and my brother had written one sentence. Could this be what Dylan has? Oh, and, wow. And I almost, you know fell into tears and I was like, uh, what, autism? It can't be autism because, you know, I was picturing the rain man. Yes. And, um, and so we ended up going and, and uh, getting, you know, another, another diagnosis from a, actually a local uh, facility that was uh, associated with a hospital. And um, they came back and said, yeah, you know, he, he, has, he has autism, he has Asperger's syndrome. And we went out and bought a book. We bought the Tony Atwood book all about Asperger's, and we just couldn't believe it. Every time yeah. it said the word the child, you could put Dylan's name in there. Right, right. It was, it was, we were like, wow, this, we, this is it. This is finally, you know, at least an answer. But right. unfortunately, it was, it was a long time ago, and yeah. very few educators knew anything about it. And so, right. as as you read in the book, um, you know, life didn't necessarily get get any easier, right? Just by having and, diagnosis. Well, and exactly what you said, um, Derek, that the fact that your son was high functioning, and I know, I know that now they've changed; they've kind of gotten rid of Asperger's, and it's just you know ASD, autism spectrum right. disorder. Um, and in a way, I hope that that helps things, but. Um, having a child that's high functioning, like you say, actually created it more difficulties because was he verbal? Was he pretty verbal? Oh, he's very verbal. Yeah. And, and, and so a lot of times these professionals will get caught on one of the, the traits of autism, like verb, you know, being verbal or making eye contact or something like that. And if, and I know with my own grandson, we we're kind of in the we're kind of in the same situation where we took him to the uh, clinic at Oregon Health Science to be diagnosed, but because he's very verbal, and because he will make a uh, a partial eye contact. I mean, he's not totally, uh, you know, he totally doesn't make eye contact. You know, he will look at you and then he'll look away. Like, well, he's hyperactive, and you know, I just remember going away from there 
in a panic mode because first of all there was a two year wait list to get to get there and um but then going no 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 i've seen hyperactive this is not hyperactivity but you know his getting up and being not being able to sit still like you were talking about with Tourette's and other other signs of of maybe being on the spectrum but those are all just symptoms that need to be like you say put together but so now you've got well, first of all, like you say, you've got you're in the 90s, um, which this is just starting to explode, and people aren't really aware of it. And then you've got a diagnosis, but then you've missed a lot of of those, you know, years. I talk about early intervention. You've missed a right. lot of those. So, it's did you bad. have to kind of go? How did? What did you do? Well, there was, uh, you know, of course, first we present, and you're right. Just back up a second. You are right about the high functioning, and actually. Dylan and I have been doing a number of speaking engagements around the country, and as part of Dylan's presentation, he talks about the blessings and curses of having the label high-functioning, because what high-functioning does is it sets him up for failure, because people say, oh, well, he's high-functioning, and he presents well, and then they assume that he can do things that he can't do, and then when he doesn't, he disappoints people all the time. And, you know, he says, I'm constantly disappointing people because they just assume that I can do things that I can't do because I present like I can. So you're totally right about the high-functioning thing. And um, so what what we did, of course, is we brought the diagnosis to the school, um, which followed with a lot of eye-rolling and sigh. And basically, yeah, you know, we're not buying this. You know, yes, you, you, yes. Got a problem, you, you know, you got a problem kid here, you're bad parents, and <gasps> we're not really by, I mean, nobody ever, they didn't actually say that. I did have, we did have right. a who actually told us we were horrible parents. Oh! Uh, but other than, other than that, they basically just implied that, you know, we just have a kid who's just a bad kid, and, you know, he just needs some discipline. And right. they just... There wasn't a lot of acceptance to the diagnosis. Um, right. Even when he got into middle school, and this was, you know, three, this was now 2004, um, he, uh, you know, we had the, the principal of the school. At one point, they changed his IEP without telling us. Oh. And, and yeah, I know, it's not even legal, but yeah. we were too exhausted to even think about suing them. So <sighs> I went to the principal and I said, you know, you can't. Just change his IEP. What you've, what you're asking him to do, he can't do. It, it, you're, it's too difficult for him. And her response was, "Well, he could do it if he wanted to." Oh my gosh! And I said, I, I didn't even. I was like speechless. I said, "Well, if he had no legs and was at the bottom of the stairs, you wouldn't say he could climb the stairs if he really wanted to, right? I mean, you know, just because his disability is invisible doesn't make it any less of a disability." Yeah. And, um, but that's, you know, that's just what we went through. And and it was, uh, so middle school was, was not a whole lot better than than before. Um, you know, it wasn't really until high school where they started, you know, kind of accepting the disability. Um, well, maybe midway through middle school, they finally realized once they, they basically kicked him out of school and he was out, you know, he was outplaced in, in, in a private school. So, yeah, it's that's so interesting that you would say that because 
Um, even now, I mean, you know, here it is 2015. Everybody's very aware. And I, I ended up taking, um, exactly what you're saying. I ended up taking my son to a, a psychologist and I said, look, here's the deal. I just need you to write down that this child is on the autism spectrum because he needs those words with your signature underneath it for him to get the care that he needs. You've got to have it in writing. And so he said, oh, well, what do you want me to write? So I told him, you know, and uh, he attention deficit disorder and autism. Great, great. I've got the word. I've got your signature. You're a professional. Took it back to the school. So we, we get the IEP, but basically the IEP is educationally based. So it's, they're going to help him with his reading and his writing and his math and this kind of stuff. And so then when I, um, and he wasn't living with us at the time. So when we, when we got him back and he's now living with us again and I got copies of his IEP, when you read through, uh, the behavior, they're, they're dictating this behavior and, you know, as if this is a normal child who, you know, refuses to sit still, who gets up, um, you know, a lot, bothers other children, touches, you know, kids inappropriately. They're writing all of this down as if it's a uh, just a reflection on his behavior and not a reflection on his diagnosis. And this is and this is, I said exactly what you said. I said, so you would pull out a child that has epilepsy and you would say the child refuses to stop having epileptic seizures and he's disrupting the class. And it's bothering other children, you know, that. So, I mean, you have to be on top of it uh, so, so much that it's almost frightening. I, I, If anyone's listening out there that is in the middle of this, I hate to tell you this, but you've got to stay on top of it all the time. So was was Derek then not not uh, how was he uh, educationally as far as grades and stuff go? Um, he he was, uh, you know, he they spent so much time on his behavior issues right. that he did not really get much of an education. They right. basically just kind of pushed him through from special ed class to special ed class. Um, and I think they probably confetti came out of the ceiling when he finished high school. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they were just really, um, you know, it's hard to say babysitting because he, you know, he was 18, almost 19 years old when he graduated, but Right. Um, they were basically just kind of pushing them through, pushing them through, and and you know they I think they tried to to do something with his education, but unfortunately his behavior issues and his right. behavioral challenges were so difficult that that he really didn't didn't get much of an education at all. Which is why right. when he tried to go to college, it was just it just didn't work out at all. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the that is the biggest thing is. Uh, and I don't know if, if, um, if Dylan, if you have this, but they're so, they're so strong in other areas. Like my grandson has, and I cannot remember the term for it, but it's, it's the writing, you know, dyslexia is the reading and he has the dis, whatever the fill in the blank is for the writing where, but his memory, he loves language and he loves book, audiobooks. He loves to listen to audiobooks. Um, so he's got the ability for knowledge, he's got the ability oh, yeah. to learn, but yeah, but it has to be given to him, and then it has to be returned in a different fashion. Right. It, 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 it can't be, be the. Yeah, Go ahead. It has to be something that they're interested in in most cases. Right, right. So, for example, Dylan is, um, you know, he's had a number of special interests over the years: birds and cars, and uh, you know, when he was involved in whatever that special interest is, 
he had, you know, unbelievable knowledge of that yeah. special interest. Um, right. And then that would fade and it would come to something else. And then it became music and countdowns and top 40 lists and Casey Kasem's lists and all this. And he would write down every week the, the top 40 and then he would write down what he felt the top 40 should have been. Oh. And, <laughs> and, uh, and it's act and, and so he knows a lot about music and he studies music and he really understands tr- music trends. Um, but how you, turn that into a career is very challenging because right. for example he wanted to be a program director at a music at a radio station but you need a college degree to do that which means you have to take uh-huh. math and science and art history and all this uh, all this stuff that he just is never going to get through and right. so here you have basically a, a music savant yeah. and he can't turn it into something that's that is financially beneficial right now he's actually um uh, so if you have uh, Sirius uh, Satellite XM Radio, Sirius XM, mm-hmm. every right. Thursday night at 7 o'clock, Dylan is on the on Dirty Pop with Lance Bass. He was one of the guys from NSYNC. Yeah. And every Thursday night at 7 o'clock, Dylan uh, does a top five countdown of the week, talking about the top five radio airplay uh, songs of the week and then why they're trending and why they're not trending and and why they're they're rising in the charts or sinking in the charts, and then uh, and then they try to stump him with trivia questions about about music, and uh, very rarely do they do they actually stump him. No so, way. Yeah, so he's not getting paid for it, but he's getting some great publicity, and uh, he's making some good, really good connections. And and uh, Lance Bass has been really nice to him, and uh, really they love him on the show. He's uh, oh, they, he, so he goes by Dylon which is his his stage name. He's trying to make it as a comedian. And so if you uh, if you go to YouTube and type in Dylon, D-I-E-L-A-W-N, Dylon Comedy, you can uh-huh. see uh, all his his uh, music videos and his uh, on-the-street comedy uh, stuff, and it's very funny. He, he's That's uh, doing a great job with it. And he writes and produces and edits and and films the whole, the whole all of them all by himself. He's uh, He does a great job with it. So See, that's but, what's so amazing. Somebody needs to tell Ellen, you know, Ellen yeah. DeGeneres is out there, you know, because the the I listened the other day to a talk. Uh, someone was talking about um, uh, a gentleman that had uh, quit college and then had worked at a very successful career for years and years and years. And then for some reason, uh, that job came to a halt after many years of him being very successful. And when it came time for him to look for another job, he would go into interviews and they would say, you know, you've got, you would love to hire you, but unfortunately, it, you know, the job requires a college education. Right. And, you know, and I just thought, you know what? That is the problem right there is, you know, that we need to stop this focus on college and getting into college and getting an education and everything because their education is such a broad term and it means so many different things. And, People have, for generations, for you know decades, the whole history of this continent, people have succeeded by working, by uh, apprenticeships, and learning on-job training. And you know, college is great; it's there for a purpose, for whatever. But it's not everything, and that, yeah. that needs to change. That really needs to change. I couldn't agree more. And one of the things that I talk about in, in my presentation, when when Dylan and I do our presentations, is the fact that. Colleges, we ha- we have this idea that that colleges have to 
give someone a broad education. So they have to, right. like I said, take art history and, and I took, you know, ge- geography and, and whatever, uh, you know, all these electives that you have to take to get through a college, to, to get a college degree. And right. yet, you know, it's very difficult for people on the spectrum to to get through a class that is of no interest to them. It, their right. brains just don't, it's not that they don't want to, their brains just don't work the same way. And so right. it's very difficult for them to to force their way. I mean, I had a hard time getting through art history myself. Um, <laughs> exactly. But I did it because I, you know, I knew I had to do it. Um, but, you know, it would be virtually impossible for him. One of the quotes right. I, I put in, in one of the book when I talk about Dylan's employment history, and he's 24 years old and he's now on about his 33rd job. Right. And, and uh, I do. A, I put in a quote by Calvin Coolidge who said, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing in the world is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. And and that just describes Dylan beautifully because he's he is a very hard worker and I mean he got fired a couple of weeks ago and before the day was over he had another job. I mean, That's he, amazing. Yeah, he's very good at getting jobs. He just has a really hard time holding jobs, which yeah. I talk about in the book. And again, uh, we also Dylan talks about in his presentation about the challenge yeah. of holding a job. Right. And I love that. I love that in the book. And I love listening to Dylan say that. It's like, I don't have any problem getting a job. I, you know, he's, he's handsome and he's personable and, you know, and, uh, but I like when he said, like, yeah, I got about two weeks here and, uh, and I'm probably going to get fired. You know, yeah. he knew, he knew that it was coming because, you know, socially, you know, and didn't he say the same thing about girlfriends? Like, I don't have any problem getting yeah. a girlfriend. It's, it's yep. keeping a girlfriend, you know. Exactly. And, but it's very similar. And, yeah. And I, I love that because, you know, like you say, he's uh, he's handsome and he's charming. And then the first time that he says something, you know, like, that's not right. Or why would I need to do that? Or something like that. The girls are like, what? You know, and they're like, I'm out of here. But, yeah, um, yeah. yeah he's talking so, about how similar his job experience is to his to his uh, experience with girls. Yeah. And uh, um, he said the difference is, is that uh, girls don't put you through uh, training and they don't have the same investment, so they're much quicker to just kind of cross you right off the list. Yeah, exactly. Why would I want to mess with this? He forgot my yeah. birthday and didn't even know why I should buy him a birthday. You know, why Why should I buy you a birthday present? It's like, what? Yeah, no, that doesn't usually go over very well for sure. Yeah. And that's and that's a matter of getting the word out, which is exactly what you're doing with your presentations and with your book is letting, you know, people who employers, employers know what they're dealing with and how they could work with these these kids who are so brilliant and, like you say, so hardworking and so determined. Um, but, you know, may, yeah, maybe you're going to have to describe it differently or or, uh, you know, train them differently. But in the end, you're going to have an amazing person working for you who will be very dedicated um it's def I, I remember you know going into the school and explaining to these teachers that they just look at you like you can just see it in their eyes they're so tired they're so tired and they're and in their mind they're i don't know they're planning their curriculum for the next day they're not even listening you know and you're explaining that do you you know do you see a pattern here do you see a pattern where the only time he gets in trouble is when he is on the playground 
or when he is standing in line at lunch. Those are the two times. So do you see that the, that perhaps that standing in line is uncomfortable for him and being a very, being in a very loud and noisy and crowded cafeteria is unbearable for him? And could we make some adjust, adjustments with that or going out on the playground and wanting to be accepted and wanting to have friends? And so going up to a group of people and kind of insisting that they include him, which accounts for tantrums and, you know, that that's not him being a bully. That's him being autistic. And you would say these things and they would just look at you and they'd go, well, that's how we do lunch. Yeah. You know, I I mean, I just remember bursting into tears and walking out of the IEP meeting going, I don't I don't get this. I don't understand what's happening here. So you so you're thinking then, um, you know, that you're probably going to have Dylan with you a long time. Is that what you're thinking? Dylan lives all by himself. No way! Yep, Dylan lives independently in Austin, Texas. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, has been there uh, since last November, and uh, it's you know he's doing he's doing a good job. He's getting by. He's like I said, he's working on his comedy career, and uh, now we're of course we're traveling around. uh, So I'm meeting him all over the country. doing book presentations. We're headed to New York City in a couple of weeks. On November 1st, we're going to be speaking at a school in New York City that's open to the public. Really? So if anybody from New York City is listening, uh, just go to my uh, website, chasingtherabbit.org, where you can, of course, buy the book, and uh, you can see where our speaking engagements are. But, uh, yeah, we're speaking in New York City on November 1st. We're speaking in Boston on December 4th at the uh, Doug Flutie Foundation uh, bre- annual breakfast. Um, so we're, it's fun. We're getting to go all over the place and go to different, go to different places. We're heading to, uh, to Memphis and in the spring and, uh, and he's doing really well. He's, he is, uh, an unbelievable, um, uh, it really is an unbelievable story. And, you know, when he moved to, to Austin, he called me about three weeks into it and he was like, I can't do this. I can't live on my own. I need to be in a program. Oh, he had been in a life skills yeah. program in Utah for a couple of years. Right. And, and, uh, and I said, Dylan, I said, you know, just take a breath here. I said, you know, let's think about where, what you, where you are and what you're doing. You know, you, you have a job, you're maintaining your job. You're, you have an apartment. You're doing a nice job with that. You're living 2,000 miles from anybody you know. Right. That's pretty amazing when you think about yeah, the fact that there are <laughs> Ivy League-educated 23-year-olds that are living in their old bedroom. You're yeah, living exactly. all by yourself, 2,000 miles from anybody you know, and you're get and yeah, you have days where you you know it, he struggles because he he gets very overwhelmed. He he can't multitask. So if he has three or four things to do in one day. It's overwhelming for him, and but he's figuring it out. Like when I saw him just recently in Tucson, we were, we spoke at the uh, Autism and Asperger's World Convention in Tucson, and I was talking to him about how he's getting by and how he's doing, and he said, "Well, he said what I do now is when I have three or four things to do in one day, the first thing I do is I say, okay, which are going to have the worst outcomes if I don't do them." That's excellent. Okay. So that's a good coping. Okay, so which are going to have the worst outcome? If I don't do any of these things, which is going to be the worst for me? And once I figure that out, then I look at my clothes. 
and I fi- and I think, okay, what clothes do I need to wear for each of these things? And if I have to do three things where I have to change clothes three different times, then I'm going to move one to another day so I don't have to change clothes so many times. Oh and I said, gosh. you know what? That's a that that's a great way to do it. That's you know, and he figured that out all by himself. And it's a way that he can kind of figure out how. So if he has to go to go to you know pick something up at the pharmacy and go to the gym and then get to work. If he knows he only has a certain amount of time, but now he has to go home and change clothes and take a shower, he'll say, "Okay, I'll go to the gym after because then I can only change. I only have to change clothes once." Wow! So um, that is so I, excellent. You know, yeah, I'm really proud of him for for coming up with that all by himself. And it's, so talk it's, a little bit about um, talk a little bit about how when you got him into that life skills program in Utah, because I know that was that was interesting, and that and 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 then you know and then the Wow, I mean, it's hard enough for moms to cut the apron strings, but letting him go to Texas talk talk about that little transition. Yeah, well, um, so Dylan was in uh, graduated from high school, went to Florida, was in Florida in a, in a life skills program in Florida for a couple of years, and decided he wanted to try to go back to college, try to go to college. So he came back to Maine, where we live, and uh, decided to go to college. That was did not go well, and so he made it made it through one semester and then was done. And in the process had really kind of started to give up on himself and put on a ton of weight and um, was just not in a good place. And moved back home, which didn't go well at all, uh, got arrested several times, and uh, got to the point where um, he was really crying for help. And I tell the story about how he got on my wife's Facebook page and, and announced on her Facebook page that Dylan had killed himself. <gasps> and, um, you know, my wife is a state senator, so she oh knows a lot of people. And, right. um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, everybody, and, and she didn't even know that he did this. So all of a sudden, her Facebook page is lighting up, my Facebook page is lighting up, and everyone thinks Dylan killed himself. And it was a desperate cry for help. And so um, we sat down with him, and, and there's a lot to the story, obviously, that I'm skipping over. But we said, you have two choices. When you get up tomorrow morning, we are going to either drive you to the airport, and you're going to go into this program in Utah, or we're going to drive you to the homeless shelter, and you're on your own. Because we can't watch you destroy your life anymore. If, if you want to destroy and throw away everything that you have and, and all the opportunities that you have in life, you're going to have to do it without us. We cannot bear to watch it anymore. And then we prayed, and we prayed really hard that he would make the right decision. Um, and uh, thank God he did. And went to this program in Utah called At the Crossroads that, and I don't say this lightly, they literally saved his life because Dylan was headed for either prison or dead. Um, those that's those were the two options that Dylan's path was headed. Um, but I believe that God had a bigger plan for Dylan, and it included um, those people in Utah, and it included him turning his life around, and included being involved in this book and reaching people um, all over the world, which we now have. I've received emails from is uh, from from Australia and Pakistan and Thailand and Ireland. It's been, uh, the Cro- I got 
out an email from a woman in Croatia last week. Um, it's been unbelievable, and I think that was that this whole thing that we went through with Dylan was all part of God's plan for this book to be written so that we could help other people. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, that's that's what we were talking about this morning before we got on the call. I was talking with another person, and I was just saying that, you know, we we think human nature wants life to be even and on keel and simple and um, symmetrical, but that isn't how we learn. We just exist if life is like that. And you can see that in a lot of reality shows, people who have everything, but they have nothing and they're depressed and because they have nothing hard that's going on in their life. And they're, and really what you're doing, like you say, is share and being open. There's not a lot of people who would be willing to tell other people that their child had gone down that road or had gotten involved with the police. But you're willing to do that to help others. And that's the joy and the beauty of, of, you know, you and Dylan speaking and then your book as well. Um, to, and I loved, and, and you really also brought me. Dylan. It's really a credit to Dylan as well. Yes. It's really a credit to Dylan as well for the bravery. Yes. You know, I wrote this whole yes. book without without telling him. He didn't even know that uh-huh. I was writing it. Uh, and I finished what I felt was my part of the book, and I called him up. And if he said, nope, no way, there's no way you're yep. telling everybody about what I went through, then I would have put it on a thumb drive, stuck it in my top drawer, and that would have been the end of it. Um, right. But there was a bigger plan, and Dylan knew it somehow and embraced it and added to the book with what we call Dylan's takes. So throughout the book, there are what are called Dylan's takes. So he, I would send him one chapter at a time and he would email me back his perspective and it really completes the book. It, it, I think it's an integral part of the book is hearing Dylan's voice. Um, after I described what I was going through as a dad, hearing his voice, um, is very powerful. Exactly. And, uh, and, and it's so the last, it's the last thing that we need to overcome. It's the last mountain is the acceptance of mental illness. It's, you know, people are willing to say, I have cancer. I have, uh, whatever, uh, some kind of physical illness and they, or they're willing to say, I'm an alcoholic and go to a, 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 a you know, a, a some type of a 12 step program. They're willing to do that, but they're, but the ability to say, I have Asperger's, I have bipolar syndrome, I have all of these other mental illnesses is still a little bit behind the veil. And so exactly for him to say, absolutely, let's help other people. Let's tell people what, you know, what happened and what I'm going through. If this can help other people, that's very brave. It is, it is. And there is a difference between mental illness and autism. So then autism is a neurological disorder, bipolar is a mental illness. And so right. to, there is a lot of people that get confused about that, but they are, they're different things. And, uh, right. you know, autism is the way the brain is structured, whereas mental illness is, is something that's impacting the, you know, the brain itself. So it, you know, it, there is a fine line there that, that people often get confused about, but, um, I think, Autism is ahead of mental illness in that case. I think it, people are becoming more open to be, quote, out of the closet about their autism right. and, and to, right. to tell the world that 
they have their struggle. You know, they part of their struggle in life is that they they're on the autism spectrum and and it's a challenge. Whereas mental illness, bipolar, schizophrenia is still very very much um, hidden away, and and that is tragic. And uh, right. hopefully that that starts to make some progress as well because it's it's certainly nothing anything that those people did to to create that. Um, and it's a uh, it's a big problem. It's a big problem. And how did you handle it? How does Dylan handle? I mean, I'm sure this was a, something that you had to discuss. Like I have a friend who has a son, 12, he's 12, and they, her husband daily wears a T-shirt about uh, autism, says something on it about autism. And they're very quick to tell people that are if they're in a situation, uh, he has autism, you know. Um, and I found myself doing that with my my younger grandson that's on the spectrum when we would go to a, a large swimming facility and he would push in front of people and want to be first in line and has a, had a hard time getting out of the, the slide or the pool or whatever. And I just found by saying to people, I'm so sorry, he has autism, that they, you could see the look on their face, immediately the anger or the like you say, what kind of a mother are you that would let this kid push in front of you? And I'm like, I'm I'm trying to catch him, I'm trying to stop him, but I'm just telling you that he has autism. So, what did uh, what? Where does Dylan fall as far as um, announcing or telling people, I'm so sorry, I have autism? Or does he try to just kind of go make it without having to tell the world? Or uh, besides your the talks that you give, but just on a daily basis, what is his? Well, I mean, that's why the book is called Chasing the Rabbit. First of all, because uh, the the analogy that I've always used with Dylan is that he's like a greyhound, and the rabbit yeah. it represents normal, and he can see it, he knows what it looks like, and he knows everything about it. He just can't catch it. So no matter how fast he runs, no matter how much he exhausts himself, normal is always just out of reach. And that's right. why I, that's why I called the book Chasing the Rabbit. So Dylan is not he's not out there wearing T-shirts or ribbons or anything yeah. that, that yeah. um, you know he really does try to function in the world um, as a as if he did not have a, a neurological disability. But right. he is not ashamed of it anymore, which is a huge huge. I mean, believe me, the, my father-in-law. I was talking to him last night. You know, and I was telling him about Dylan's presentation in San Antonio this past weekend, and he just couldn't believe that Dylan was brave enough to go, because we all knew that, I mean, there were years and years where we couldn't even say the word Asperger's or autism yes. in the house, because Dylan yeah. didn't want to, didn't refuse to accept it. And exactly. so the fact that he's now going and speaking to groups of people, and he, sometimes huge groups of people, I mean, this thing we're doing for the Flutie Foundation breakfast, they, there's going to be a couple hundred people there. We spoke to 450 people in Maine and at the Southern Maine Autism Conference in March. It's it's amazing. And, right. and as parents, you know, we missed all those opportunities to explain to people what Dylan had. And we used to joke, actually, about having a little, a little business card that explained yeah. what was going on with Dylan. And I have since created those, and they're available if anybody's interested in buying one. Um, I sell them for $2 for 10 and um, what do I, I three fifty for 20 I don't know. There, there's a thing on my Facebook page, and I'll put it on my uh, – I'll throw it up on my website as well. But there's okay. a little business card, and I'm not trying to make money on these things. It just kind of covers right. the cost of shipping and everything and buying the cards right. and 
Um, my goal is just to get these in the hands of as many people as possible for that lady at the supermarket that gives you that look. And if any parents yeah. listening that's been through it, they know what that look is. I don't even yeah. have to describe it. Um, yeah. But on the back of the card, it says, you are witnessing autism. Please be patient with my child. He, she has autism. What may look like poor parenting is a child with a neurological disorder just trying to get through another day in a world that is often very confusing, fast-paced, and overwhelming. Thank you for understanding. Oh, that's and my goal is that you that people go out to dinner, and if their kid acts a little odd at dinner, and the waitress kind of is like, "What is the deal with this kid?" And why don't these parents, you know, handle him better? When dinner's right. over, they, you know, sign the check, just drop one of these cards in, and the next time she sees a kid acting like that, maybe she'll think twice about being judgmental. Um, right. And uh, so I, I can't get rid of these cards fast enough i it's been people have been uh mailing me self-addressed envelopes and two dollars and four dollars and seven dollars it's uh, seven dollars for 50 of them and one guy bought a thousand of them uh, he has uh. a he has a uh clinic and he said i want to i want to give a handful to everyone that comes into my clinic so he bought a thousand cards off me That's and i'm just excellent. thrilled to death because um uh, the more people that see this the more we can break that stigma that you talked about earlier where people look right. at you as a, as a bad parent. Right, right. That's excellent. That is so amazing. What, now, what is Dylan, how does he feel about as far as peer groups? Does he, because that's one of the things that, that just is exactly what you said what, that I'm sure we'll be going through is my son, my grandson enters puberty and is going to be going into high school. And, and unfortunately, where he fits in, but and what he recognizes he fits into are two different things. So trying to get him into a summer camp or some kind of an activity that's basically set up for average children, um, he doesn't fit in there. But when I've yeah. gotten him involved in activities where there were kids that were varied on the spectrum, he didn't fit in there either. And he said, "Why are you sending me to that camp, Nana? There's there there's there's kids there that are screaming and yelling, and I don't like that camp. And why would you send me there? And and you know, I I, I I didn't know how to say to him, it's the only camp that will accept you. It's the only camp yeah. you fit into. And and um, so even now, going through therapists and things, he's kind of looking at me like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing all these, you know? So when it comes to finding friends, does Dylan, does he hang out with other people that are on the spectrum? Or what is he finding? No, he doesn't hang out with people that are on the spectrum. And, uh, okay. you know, it's really hard. It, it's, it's, we talk, actually... When Dylan was in Cleveland, we were in Cleveland this uh, past June. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the moms in the audience after we did our presentation, we we do after so we do our presentation and then we do we always have a Q and A. And it's funny because once the Q and A starts, I could basically leave the room. They just want to talk to oh, Dylan, and yeah. so I just I sit there and let him go. And um, the uh, one of the moms asked that same question to Dylan. And she said, right. you know, and he said, look, I don't blame him for not wanting to hang out with other kids with Asperger's. I never did. I wanted to hang around with the normal kids because yeah. I wanted to be I wanted to be seen and wanted to feel normal. So don't I don't blame him for that at all. And then she asked, right. well, does it get easier? And I held my breath because I thought, oh, my goodness, if he tells this poor mom of a 10 year old boy yeah. that it's not going to get easier, you know, that's yeah. going to be a a hard thing for her to hear. And, but at the same time, I didn't want her to kind of, you know, just give her the answer she wanted to hear. Not that 
there was a chance that Dylan would ever do that because that's just not in his nature to give, tell somebody just what they want to hear unless he's in a job interview, of course. <laughs> and, uh, and so his answer was my favorite answer that he gave all summer. And he said, look, we can water this down any way you want, but the fact is that when you're 10, there's nothing good about being different. It's all about being just like everybody else and about being the same, and it's really hard to be different. And it's hard to be different, frankly, right through middle school and high school, but around 20, it all of a sudden, something changes, and it almost becomes kind of cool to be different and unique because people are kind of tired of the same old, same old from everybody. And at that point, people actually kind of like someone who's unique and different. So it does get a lot easier once you get into your 20s. So tell them to just hang in there because it will get better. And I just thought that that was such a great answer because he gave her some realization that it's going to be hard for a while. So don't get your hopes up that all of a sudden he's going to be, you know, going to dances and proms and hanging out on weekends with a bunch of kids. But at the same time, don't give up because it's going, it will, in the long run, he's going to be okay. And I just thought it was just a beautiful, I almost cry every time I think about that answer because it was just, excellent. you know, it was just so perfect. That is perfect. And that is so, that is, you know, the truth always wins, right? And that is, you did give her hope. I mean, he did give her hope, but I love that he said that. I love that he said, do you want me to water this down or do you want me to tell you how it really is? And that's exactly, and you know, there's, there is always a good side. Like I said, my, my grandson, um, uh, you know, we're getting ready to retire. He hangs out really well with old people. He doesn't mind hanging out with, with a couple of old people, as long as we're looking at whatever it is he's focused on right now. So, you know, there's the good side. I, I wasn't interested in lighthouses, but I am now. And so, you know, we're going to be going and visiting a lot of lighthouses, and he's okay doing that with, uh, you know, his grandma and grandpa. So there's the good side. There's a lot of, uh, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids that wouldn't be caught dead with their grandma and grandpa, you know, visiting a lighthouse. So, yep, yeah, you have to look at the silver lining. Well, exactly. Yeah. Tell everyone, give, give us all your website, how to get a hold of your amazing book, and I want to know where, uh, you mentioned a few things. When, when are you and Dylan going to be back on the West Coast? Um, well, I'm going to be in Spokane, Washington. Uh, I'm speaking, I think, on a parenting panel, so Dylan isn't going. My wife and I are just going. Um, and I, w- I will be in Spokane, Washington, speaking on October 1st. And uh, that's at the Young Child's Conference, it's called. And then Is Dylan that open and I, to the public? I think it is open to the public, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and then um, I'll be in New York City. Uh, we'll be speaking in New York City on November 1st. And we'll be speaking on in Boston on on December four at a breakfast for the uh, Doug Flutie Jr. Foundation, and then we will be we're scheduled to go to Memphis in March, and that's what we have uh, scheduled right now. So okay. uh, we'd love to come to the West Coast, of course, especially uh, in the winter time because it's very cold. <laughs> exactly. So I'm exactly. always happy to go somewhere warm, yeah. as is my wife. Um, yeah. Anytime in the uh, in the winter time, so we'd love to come to the West Coast at, at some point. But uh, to get all the information, if you go to uh, our website, which is chasingtherabbit.org, 
chasingtherabbit.org. Uh, you can uh, keep up with everything that we're doing. Um, I have a, I keep a, you know, ongoing thing of our, our speaking engagements and where we're headed on okay. that. And uh, then, of course, you can follow us on Facebook at uh, www.facebook.com slash chasingtherabbitbook. Okay. And, um, you know, of course, anybody, you know, my name's Derek Volk, so if you want to hit me up on Facebook, you know, personally and say hello and talk or ask a question, you know, I'm very open to any of that as well. Um, okay. And uh, and then I'm on Twitter at Derek Volk. Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, any of you that are on the West Coast, uh, Spokane is a really cute little town, so head up there. Um, I'm going to make every effort that I can. Will you be, uh, like you mentioned, you'll be doing like a, a parent Will you be doing a question and answer or parenting advice, or what will be your focus? I'm at not that exactly conference? sure what they have scheduled for out there. Um, so okay. I'm trying to wait for the final details on that. Um, okay. But I'll be available. I have a little booth. You know, I have a little ex- exhibition table booth, so I'll okay. be there the whole time. There's a, it's a okay. three three day conference, so I'll be there uh, talking to people and answering questions and, and signing okay. books, and Excellent. then um, and. Uh, so I, I imagine at some point I'm going to get out to San Diego. My sister lives in San Diego, so I've been kind of looking for an excuse to go out there and speak in San Diego and visit her. And right. uh, so uh, I'd love to love to come out there to California and uh, and do that. Excellent, excellent. Well, and I have a feeling that uh, you're going to be in Portland too. So <laughs> we're I got, we got to get you out here somehow because yeah, I, I'm I just be in think that for one day on uh, I'm going to be in Portland when after we leave Spokane. We're heading down to the Redwoods, and we're oh, spending excellent. a night in Portland. Excellent. So, yeah, so, uh, yeah, if anybody, if uh, somebody wanted to put together an event, I'd be happy to speak in Portland on that night. But Excellent. What day, what day will that be? Uh, that will be uh, just in a couple of weeks. Uh, it'll yeah. be, let's see, October, I think we'll be in Portland on October 2nd or 3rd. I'd have to okay. check with my wife and find out the exact schedule. But, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, if anybody wants to, again, if you want to hit me up on Facebook or, or uh, email me through my website, chasingtherabbit.org, and anybody wanted to put together some kind of evening event in Portland, I'd be happy to come come do a, a speaking engagement while I'm in Portland that night. Oh, that would be excellent. Well, thank you so much, Derek. This has just been, I just love your honesty and I love your openness and your willingness to share your information and, and your experience because that's what we, that's all we can do is help one another in it. And those of us that have, uh, you know, trekked a little further, we need to help those that are on the trail behind us. So I appreciate everything that you're doing. Well, I have been very blessed in this life and uh, I am very honored to be that this book has given me an opportunity to, to give back. So exactly. thank you very much. Anybody who reads the book, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Tell, Thanks a lot. Tell Dylan hi and thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was great. I really enjoyed talking with Derek today. I really appreciate him taking time out of his day. And I appreciate him introducing us to Dylan. Dylan is uh, sounds like a wonderful young man. I'm going to go ahead and follow up on some of the links that Derek mentioned. I hope that you do as well. And I really want all of you to remember to, you know, find peace, find find company and a little bit of heaven and whatever your struggles are this week. And have a great week, and we'll talk again next Monday. Bye-bye. 